You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. What would you do if your alert and oriented patient asked to be removed from their ventilator? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams. Dr. Abrams specialized in obstetrics and gynecology for over 40 years. He is the former chair of the Ethics Committee of the American College of Obstetricians, served on numerous ethics committees, has taught biomedical ethics, and is the author of the book, Doctors on the Edge. Will your doctor break the rules for you? Dr. Abrams, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. You were instrumental in passing Colorado's Advanced Directive Law. What do you tell doctors about advanced care planning? It's important that doctors know when and how to discuss this with their patients. No doctor likes to bring bad news to a patient and especially are reluctant to discuss end-of-life issues, we all know that how depressing and how important the psychological attitude of the patient and the doctor is to trying to render a cure. But there gets to be times when cure is no longer going to be possible, and you have to revert to thinking about care for the patient at the end of life palliative care for whatever the condition may be, and decision-making that's going to have to be made. And it's important whenever a patient gets any sort of a serious illness, certainly doesn't have to be terminal at the time, to discuss advanced directives in the spirit of, look, there may become a time when you're unable to speak for yourself. And it doesn't necessarily have to be at the end of life. You might get knocked unconscious in an auto accident, or you may have some sort of toxicity or poisoning, and you're unable to speak for yourself, but decisions have to be made. And so it's important to do two things. First, to think about how you want to be treated if you're terminal, And secondly, who knows you well enough to answer for you when you're unable to answer for yourself? Most states have two types of advanced directives that will provide for this. A living will in Colorado is just for a terminal patient, but there is a durable power of attorney by which a person, a patient appoints somebody to talk for them. And a physician ought to notify his patients that this is a good thing to have under any circumstances, not just when you're elderly. When you think about the cases that made the newspaper headlines, Nancy Cruzan, who was in her 20s, and Karen Ann Quinlan in her 20s, and Terry Schiavo, who was in her 30s, these people, had they had advanced directives, then there wouldn't have been such a furor and a public circus made out of their cases if they had just said what they wanted in advance or had appointed somebody to say specifically what they wanted. And what advice do you offer doctors regarding timely discussions about do-not-resuscitate orders? By and large, there are several kinds of do-not-resuscitate orders. The person who in the state of Colorado, at least, and I don't know how many other states, many of them have this same provision, for an out-of-hospital do-not-resuscitate order that the patient themselves may write 
And this would be perfectly suitable for someone who, for example, is an outpatient hospice patient or who is an elderly patient, frail in a nursing home, for whom death is neither unexpected nor unwelcome. Unless they have made some specification, they are going to have to go through a total resuscitation process and may be sent off, for example, from a nursing home to an emergency room somewhere or from an Alzheimer's unit, which if they haven't written in advance a do, do not resuscitate order or given that authority to an agent, again, they'd be resuscitated when prolonged living might be exactly what they wouldn't choose. In the story titled Choosing in your book, you write about a Jewish man with ALS. What happened? ALS, as you know, is an ascending paralysis. And this gentleman had toughed it out for an awfully long time, even to the point of going home on a respirator with 24-hour nursing. And as you are well aware, they have to be bathed, They have to have their bowel and bladder evacuated for them. Most of them have difficulty eating. And often the last stages is interference with the respiratory muscles, and that indeed was his case. He could communicate by moving his arms with a a finger pointing to his computer. And he had lived for almost a year in this state at home when he decided that he no longer wished to live this way. And he consulted with his family doctor and told her that. She was rather confused. She consulted with me because she had not encountered this before. And this was before in an era when it was not customary to remove life supports. It hadn't been clarified that this is a patient's option, a patient's choice. And so we convened with her and with the wife of the patient, And they were very religious people, and so we also spoke to the rabbi. And there was a discussion of what the uh, religious writings of the Talmud said about removing life supports or interfering with dying. And the rabbi told two stories, one about a rabbi who was dying and a group of students sat around praying for him and keeping him alive. A servant lady who saw how he was suffering broke a piece of crockery on the floor. That startled the students. They stopped praying for a moment and let the rabbi slip into the next world. And the Talmud wrote that she was to be praised for this action. So in other words, she, in a sense, facilitated a peaceful death. And with that story... He also related the other side of the coin, which said you can't interfere or hasten anybody's death by removing their pillow or even building a coffin so he could hear the hammering of the coffin being made. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams discussing his book, Doctors on the Edge, Will Your Doctor Break the Rules for You? Dr. Abrams, you wrote that the wife worried that the removal of her husband's respirator would be suicide, and if she disconnected it, that would be assisted suicide. How did you respond? I told her that it wasn't 
she who was causing an assisted suicide. It was the uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis that was causing the death, that she was merely removing the impediment that was an artificial intervention, the respirator, and that that was what was responsible for the death, and that she was merely following her husband's wishes, as well as following some of the religious precepts that permitted easing death, as long as it wasn't considered hastening it. You describe that there are three branches of Jewish beliefs, and they vary widely among Orthodox, conservative, and Reform, how do they differ with regards to end-of-life care? Reform is fairly liberal. They still do not permit assisted suicide for the most part, but they do believe in patient autonomy and the right to refuse. Some of the most religious at the other pole do not. They believe that whatever happens, happens, and you must in no way interfere. They don't consider that you're interfering if you put on a ventilator. They consider that everything that can be done should be done. So there are the same polarities, basically, in the Jewish religion and the three separate divisions, as there are throughout the world in the Protestant religion as well, and the Catholic, which is a little closer to the Orthodox. Now, You state that the rabbi was concerned that the sedative you gave the patient before the respirator was removed would cause his death. How did you respond? I responded the same way. That is, it's the lack of being able to breathe that's causing his death, that the amyotrophic lateral sclerosis caused paralysis of the respiratory muscles. If you remove the respirator, he would die of the disease. But one ought not sit there and watch somebody strangle, that it is reasonable to sedate them, just as you might if someone had refused a feeding tube, reasonably sedate them. There was no need to add to the suffering that was caused by their autonomous decision about life supports. So you were making the distinction between taking away the respirator and whether he was simply refusing treatment. No, really, it's the same thing. He's refusing treatment when you take away the respirator because he's asking you to take it away. In other words, if it was something that he would have refused initially, you would have never put him on a respirator. Now, when he's had a chance to think about it, he's refusing it. Why should you deny what he wants now when he's had a chance to think about it from before when he hadn't a chance to think about it? How many years ago did this story happen? In the 70s. And do you see similar stories repeated today? I do. Actually, it is more common today than it was then that people will refuse respirators or feeding tubes and their wishes are generally fulfilled autonomously. And if they have left advanced directives, especially so. And as you're aware, this was the case recently with Terry Schiavo. It was in terms not of a respirator, but of a feeding tube, which essentially is the same thing. The point being, when you first try to make a decision about a feeding tube, if you deny it initially, You never know if the patient is going to recover. And even though the chances may be slight, most doctors want to give people that chance. So they start it. 
Now, once you've started it and it's gone for a while and you see that, in a sense, it was a mistake because they're not going to get better, then at that point, it makes no sense to perpetuate an error that had you known was going to happen, you wouldn't have started it in the first place. So now you can, in a sense, correct an error and listen to what the patient wanted, which is not to be kept alive when they have no chance of having any cognizant or sapient life. Dr. Abrams, thank you for joining us today to discuss your book, Doctors on the Edge. Will your doctor break the rules for you? I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.